All right, boom, we're back. We Before, are. Bob, I almost forgot to start recording again, but you know, we're back. Um, Dude. we had some technical difficulties last time, but I don't, think you, I don't think you even would have noticed on the episode, to be honest. Like I, I edited them out pretty, pretty well. He didn't record half of the episode. Half is a long shot, maybe a third, but <laughs> no, this, this time where we're on, we're recording and, uh, yeah, we're good to go. Hell yeah, baby. Um, do you want to give a bit of a rundown of what the, the episode's going to look like? It's a bit of a different one. I reckon we just get into it, bruh. Yeah, all right. Well, Look at that. Yeah, I mean, give it a little rundown. Let's just do it, man. Right, I'm a, we're men of action, dude. Let's just get into it. Yeah, yeah, all right. All right, you go. Righto, so today, I guess um, we're going to talk a little bit, give more of a bit of a background on Isaac as an individual and as a musician and eventually come to the point on starting the podcast. Of Before the Blow Up. Yeah. So, Isaac, what's your middle name? James? James, yeah. Isaac James Staines. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Why did you want to become a musician? Um, I don't know. I think it's just one thing that, like, I... When, when I was very young, I was always able to play, like, music. I, pl- I started playing drums when I was about three or four, I think. And then... About 11 or 12 years old, I started playing guitar and started singing. I could always kind of hit notes and that kind of thing. And then around 11 or 12, that's kind of, that's when I started to think about, okay, what do I want to do in life? And then I started writing kind of some crappy songs and I was like, yeah, I want to be a, I want to be a musician. I want to do that. And I literally stuck with it ever since, to be honest, since about 11 or 12. Fair enough. So, so prior to being 11 or 12, sort of what did like life look like for you, your family life, your home life. Like I'm sure you didn't just become like, be known like I want to be a musician and just pick up a guitar. Like sort of what was the path, I guess, to that? Did your parents push you in a direction? Did, did you just find something on the internet and be like, mom and dad, can I do this? Or, or sort of what was your directional push into, to your stage of becoming 11 and 12 and deciding music was the go yeah i think that i had a very natural progression into what i wanted to do i remember um mum obviously is a piano teacher and dad could kind of play drums and so when just growing up and my uncle as well like he was he's a brilliant musician and i think that just growing up like that was a very it was very natural for me to go straight into the, like I was very naturally gifted at music and I wasn't, I'm not naturally gifted at, at a lot of things. Like, like I'm not very, like I can play sports, but I'm not like overly sporty, like my little brother or, but I was just from the get go. Like I just had that gift of music and obviously I'm very appreciative of that. But I remember there was one day when I was sitting on the lounge and I was, I was also very into basketball, like, even though I wasn't naturally good at it, I did like it, but it was one of those things, like, I loved basketball more than basketball loved me, really. <laughs> Whereas, I think that's a lot of people's career. Yeah, yeah, I think, but, like, music is the quite the opposite, I feel like. But I remember I was sitting on the lounge, and I was just thinking to myself, what do I want to do for the rest of my life, kind of thing, and I was like, as, as uh, corny as this sounds I remember thinking oh I could go to the NBA even though in hindsight I'm like I would never have made NBA not in a million years but or I could pursue music and I was just like thinking there one day I was like music and uh, fair enough yeah yeah. and I just chosen from then onwards I just 
done it. Did the muso thing. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a journey, but yeah. So that was pretty much I think just before I moved to Wagga. Yeah. And then for my thirteenth birthday, which was my first birthday in Wagga, my parents bought me a semi-acoustic guitar. But yeah, you asked about like home life and how that was, and I didn't, like my parents have always been so supportive. Like I genuinely think I have the best parents, but um, they're not the type of people to be like just be i guess yes men just because we're their children like they will be honest and upfront about things but yeah they've been so supportive but uh yeah i don't know that's sick bro yeah it's gangster so um yeah i'm not gonna lie i didn't prepare any questions (laughs) (laughs) horrid but i'm frother man so i just go with what's coming off the dome so um bringing back to 11 and 12 that's kind of when i met you and I was a bit after, I reckon. A bit after? Yeah, maybe 13. Yeah, so I met you around that time, within a few years. Yeah. And when I knew you then is when you were making a lot more money than me as a 13-year-old <laughs> <laughs> because you'd bask on the streets. What what um got you into busking and, like, why did you busk on the streets in Wagga Wagga? Busking, yeah. I mean, busking was very, like, it was a very natural progression to i guess the next step for me okay so where what was the steps from i've got my acoustic i've got my semi-acoustic guitar from my parents now i'm gonna busk right like what's the stepping stones it was very like i got my acoustic guitar this week and then like a couple of weeks later i'm straight into busking i busked could you play it within a couple weeks no i already knew how to play guitar so i had a semi-acoustic someone gave me a semi-acoustic when i lived in narrowmine and i uh, not a semi-acoustic, just a normal acoustic guitar. And someone gave me one when I lived in Narromine, and uh, I just learned to play a couple of chords and stuff on that. But, yeah, I've always been, like, a hard worker, so I just sat down and learned guitar fairly quickly. Um, and that's why I'm saying, like, I think that that was a gift to be able to naturally do that, like, anyway. But, yeah, so once I got the, my semi-acoustic guitar for my birthday, I I knew that... Oh, the next step is busking. I just was like, yeah, I need to make some, I need to learn how to make money off this. And so like, even though it wasn't like crazy, it was, I guess, above average for most people my age. Dude, I didn't even know what busking was till I met you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was, to be honest, I was raking in some coin, but I. Give us figures. What was 13 year old <laughs> Isaac raking in? Well, so I pretty much, I busked uh, for three years straight. Generally twice a week, sometimes three days, about twice a week usually. Mm-hmm. And and I would busk only for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and I'd usually get around 200 bucks an hour. For a 13-year-old? <laughs> yeah. Dude. When I was 13, I was mowing lawns for $5 an hour to save up for a mountain bike. <laughs> I mean, I'm so thankful that <laughs> I was like, like a blessing that I could, that, that was... My well, financial state at 13. But. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> bro, you, you would have been pimping the people. Everyone would have been coming to you at the school canteen. Why is that? Can you shout me? No, nah, no one knew. No one, no one knew. knew. No, nah, I kind of just like kept it quiet. Rich but humble <laughs> at this 13. <laughs> I don't, I don't like, that's but, like a six-figure salary for a 13-year-old. Six-figure salary, yeah, right. For a 13-year-old? Well, it's a couple hundred bucks a week. I could not <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> but I just, I just bought music gear. That's the thing. I just... I didn't have a lot of like cash, cash. I just bought music gear with it. Yeah, like, fair enough. I built up my 
collection, I guess, fairly quickly. Do you still have stuff from then? Uh, yeah, I've kind of, I mean, I've kind of bought new gear since then, but I still have the gear, yeah. Do you still bask? No, I haven't busked in a long time. Why? Because gigs make better, like the hourly rate for gigs is better, and it, like busking is just like, I, I feel like I'm a bit old for that now. Not, not that... I couldn't like I could, could I could go and do it. I just think that it's just I, I always just look at things as the like the progression to the next thing. Like busking was just the next. So I mean, you, gigging was the next progression from busking. So you thought if you'd go out busking now, you'd just feel stagnant. Yeah, I think I I would be bored so quickly. Yeah. Because no one, I think that for me the enjoyment in gigs is people watching my gigs and and being there to watch what I play, and I think that being like if I was to just busk and just standing kind of in the street and everyone's just walking by yeah I don't I don't do music for the money that's the thing like yeah the money was great but I don't use me I don't do music for the money I never have and I never will like yeah the money's cool but like I just I enjoy playing music and I like people listening to my own music so yeah no that's sick so I guess we've gone from busking when what was your, when did you land your first gig and what was your first gig like? Ah, uh, that's a good question. So it was, these are good questions. <laughs> these are the dome, bro. <laughs> um, so when I was busking, as I said, I, I busked for three years straight. So from when I was about 13 or maybe two and a half. And then I was about 15 and a half. I think I landed my first gig. So I was busking on a Wednesday afternoon. It was in, yeah, Wednesday afternoon, fairly dead afternoon. I think, yeah, and this guy walked past me and then I saw him walk past again and he came up to me and he had this, and I've still got it, I've still got it in my room. He had this cardboard, the back of a cardboard box or like some, some wrapping off a cardboard box and, and he had written on the back his name and his phone number and then um, it was called Cave Barbecue and um, I still have it. I have it in my keepsakes at home and he gave that to me. He said, he said, oh, love your sound would be keen to get you to play on a Thursday night and I'm like and I meant oh well, I actually thought I was like Thursday night I can play Friday nights <laughs> that's what I thought I was like I want I need to be playing Friday and Saturday nights when people are out but I, but I was like I was like yeah I love to play Thursday nights I, and I was like yep that'd be awesome so I was super keen and then yeah I just started playing gigs there maybe once a month at Cave Barbecue in Wagga and they unfortunately closed down but yeah, that was my that was my first gig. Obviously, it didn't generate enough business, mate. No, no, yeah, I was, yeah, my bad, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sick. So, so is that what you're still doing now? Just gigging around? Yeah, I mean, mostly I just gig around, like probably two, three gigs a weekend, kind of thing. And um, yeah, actually, probably more sometimes. Like three gigs a weekend is about the average, and then. Yeah, I mean, I'm making my music. I released my first single. When was it? January? No, I don't even know when it was. I released it 2022. At the start of 2022 is when I released my first single. How old were you then? Oh, it was before I turned 17. No, 18. So I would have been... 17. 17. Is that Heroes Have Shadows 2? Yeah. Is that the first one? Yeah, yeah. released Heroes Have Shadows 2 in... I think it was February maybe or March. I don't remember, but it was just before I turned 17. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just 
four, I turned 18, sorry. Are we able to like do a snippet on the thing at one end? Yeah. So this is where you hear a snippet of Heroes Have Shadows 2. So yeah, that's the song, um, or at least a snippet of it. What was the inspiration? <laughs> what was the inspiration? Why did you write that song? Um, so I actually attribute that to to my dad. Like I was, I was, I was actually in Kaiama, so like really close to here, and he said, "Oh, you should write a song about heroes having shadows too." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, that's that's a cool concept." I wrote it down on my phone and I was like, yeah, I'll think about that. And so then, and I was going through like a very personal situation at that, at that time, some family things. And it, it, the situation that I was going through fit perfectly with the, the, the title of the song. And I'm like, okay, I need to, I should expand on this a bit more. And so, yeah, just expanded on that a bit more. I was, I started writing with a friend of mine and he, he kind of, Co-wrote it with me, I guess. But who was that? Rue Melandu. Rue, can't say Runya. Rue. Um. Anyway, so we did that and then recorded it at home. And mind you, before all this, I'd probably recorded three songs, um, and never released them because will they ever come out? No, they they're not. Firstly, they're written poorly, and then secondly, I just went through producer after producer, and I was like, no, I don't like any of these. Not not producers, but I don't like any of these sounds. Like, um, the producers are really lovely people, and they make good music, but they just didn't fit my sound, and that was okay. Like, but I eventually got onto through a bunch of different connections. Got onto Woody, who's my producer now, and he is that the guy I go to in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, Woody in Melbourne. So he produced. Uh, he he mixed my first track. I produced that all at home. But he mixed my first track, and then and so that was good. And then at the end of twenty twenty two, I went to Melbourne for five days to record an EP. Uh, yeah, and so I had five songs written. Went to Melbourne to record an EP, and then once once I recorded the EP, we got all the songs mixed, and then I didn't release it for. A long time. I didn't release it till mid twenty twenty three, and I had them done at before, like well before the end of twenty twenty two. Yeah, right. What was the delay for? There was like a lot of personal stuff that I was tackling, like some I guess some demons that I had to beat, and I think that that was just taking up a lot of my emotional and mental capacity at the time, and I just didn't have time to kind of. It's not that I didn't have time. I didn't have the, I guess, headspace to. Calculate what that had, like what what that meant by releasing the album, because oh, the EP, sorry, because releasing an EP is very different to a single. Whereas now, like an, releasing an album, which is what I'm about to do, is is very different to releasing an EP. How so? Well, I think that people like you look at singles and like yeah, the singles are good. You look at an EP, yeah, an EP is cool. Which I just look at it as an EP as a, a couple of singles put together. Whereas an album, I feel like, is just a story. Like, an album is just a story, and it tells this, paints this picture of of 
whatever you're trying to convey. And for me, I mean, for me, that was, I guess, heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. So is an EP just like a bunch of singles, like sort of whacked together? Is that what you're saying? Not, not necessarily. And an album's more like a storyline going through it. Well, an EP can, an EP can be whatever you want. Like any of these things can be whatever you want it to be. Like an album could be just a bunch of songs put together, but I think that if you were to do it well, an album definitely is not just a bunch of songs put together. But an EP, an EP is very flexible. Like people, some people think an EP is three songs. Some people think it's six songs. I just did five for mine. I think that was kind of a good number. And then, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, mad. So you've got this producer in Melbourne now. Yep. You've gone down to Melbourne to record the album. Mm-hmm. Did you, you obviously talked to them over the phone before you went there, yeah? Yeah, well, I've known Woody for a while now, like, again, since my first first single. And so, yeah, I've just known him. We've got a good relationship and he's he's very straight to the point and that's that's what I love working with and that's why I think we work so well as a team. So, so what was it like first time going down to record in a studio with a producer you get along with and, like, create? Like, what's it like to you to create music? Okay. Well... I didn't, like, I think there's two questions there. So what was it like going down to record? Because I went to, to Melbourne to record my EP, not like not just my album, but my EP. That was an unreal experience. Actually, i got a funny story about that. So, Go on. <laughs> so when I was in Melbourne recording my EP for the first time, I was I was probably one of the middle days, and and I, I went out to go get some lunch. It was and I said, oh, what do you want? Want some food? And he said, yeah, can you go to this place to get some, get a bacon and egg roll? I'm like, yep, no worries. Walking down to this place to get a bacon and egg roll, I just see this guy run past me and he's just breathing. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? Tall bloke, maybe 6'6 six, six or something, real tall. And he's like skinny. And I, like he runs past me like grunting really weird. I was like, that's so weird. And I see him run into a tobacco shop. And I'm like, what's this guy doing? And I, uh, I turn around. And I like kind of trace back a couple of steps and and I see I just see this guy run into this shop and jump over the counter and just start beating the the shop owner's head. In he, Melbourne. Yeah. This nah. was in, in, and this was in the middle of the day. It wasn't even at night. This was in the middle of the day, broad Dude. Day, like, jumps like jumps like kind of like just like I don't even know how to explain Did it. Did you just freeze in the situation like that? Oh, I was just so confused. Like I was just like, what is happening? And and like he jumps over the counter and just starts just going to town on him. I'm like, what? And um and the guy's screaming in the corner of the tobacco shop and then this other bloke runs in and just like r- r- grabs him, reefs him off and um and throws him over the ca- throws him over the counter and um and and then the guy grabs um Grabs a box of nangs, <laughs> nangs. <laughs> grabs a box of nangs and runs. Oh, he also like vandalized, like just like just push stuff over and nangs. Yeah. That's so like, yeah. It was it was oh. it was the it was it was so bad. And this guy's head was bleeding and everything. Like it was crazy. And he took a box of nangs. Yeah, it took a box that you could just buy. From yeah, but shop. he looked like he was on something. He was on meth for sure. You reckon? Yeah. Nangs just seems so like, not even sketchy. The word's just not in my head. It's like skanky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nangs are, bro, drugs as a whole anyway. But <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, he just, yeah. And I was so confused. And like, 
but it happened so quick. Like, like I was like walking back as it was like happening. Like I was walk cause, cause I walked up, I kept walking a bit further and then, then I just heard screams and then I started walking back and then by the time I got in there, I just saw the dude reef him off. And then this other dude, other dude started like screaming, like, get out, get out of here. And then, um, so then he ran and then me and this other guy that was probably like my age at the time, we were kind of just picking nangs up off the ground and putting them back in the box and putting them in the shop. It was gnarly. Dude. Bloody. It was gold. But yeah, that was, that was like an insane experience. I, I was like, it's pretty out the gate. Yeah. Like, and I was like 15. Oh. You ever know what happened to the other dude? The dude who like robbed the shop? That's crazy to see a robbery like in broad Yeah, broad daylight. daylight. Just ran, kept running. Yeah, I was it was sixteen at the time, and I was like, first time like I was just like, I had not like I was in Melbourne on my own, and my parents weren't there. I was just like, whoa, like it was like a reality check. Yeah, that's how that's how the gate. <laughs> yeah, did you ever find out what happened to him? Nah, no, nah, never heard anything from him. That's that's pretty funny. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's, it was. So did you end up getting a bacon egg roll for you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a gnarly story to tell him after. Yeah, fair enough. So back down to Melbourne, you've, you've witnessed robberies yeah. and everything. How, what was your first studio experience like? Yeah, I mean, my first studio experience was like unreal. Like it was insane. Five days recording five songs it was just so sick like had we had a drummer come in like even though i can play drums we had a drummer come in because i think it's important to kind of get that input over time mm. and yeah so we had a drummer come in and i played all the guitars and the bass and sung and i got my mum to play the keys at home for some of them and then for the some of the synths and stuff yeah but it was it's actually the studio and so this is a funny this is a funny um coincidence the studio that i record at called red door red door sounds in melbourne shout out um but red door sounds in melbourne was actually the studio that vance joy was recorded at oh that riptide by vance joy was recorded at uh, and so is your producer the same as no so the guy from vance joy actually came to my producer and was like oh can you re-record this song and my producer said he said no to him and he said, oh, you can, my assistant will do it for you. Got his assistant to do it. And, um, billion streams later, like that's where Riptide's at. And the, the coincidence <laughs> is that, and, and Woody always tells me, he's like, oh, biggest, biggest regret. And I'm like, oh, it's tough, but no, nah, it's fine. Hopefully I said to him, oh, hopefully we can make a, a track that's like similar level. I mean, him will make a track that's similar level True. to Riptide. But the coincidence was Riptide was this song. So when I was in school, when I first started really like pursuing music, I played in a battle of the bands and I won, me and my band won the battle of the bands and we sung Riptide. And I was like, that was like the first song that I played, like one of the first songs I played live. Beast. Yeah. So coincidence is crazy. Um, but going back to your like question before, um, on how do I, how, what, what is it like creating music? Like, and how, how I do that? I think that it's a very it's a very emotional process for me and I'm very much like, I think that it's been a bit difficult lately because I've tried to control my emotions so much, so much that it's hard for me to access like emotions that I need sometimes. So I think that I'm still like kind of working out the balance, but in general, I kind of, um, use my emotions and, and all my songs that I ever right and re not right but will ever release they all mean something very 
personal to me. That's all something that's happened to me and, and something in my life. And so do you, do you ever think, um, if you get so successful and your life doesn't become easy, but cruisy, you'll fight, you'll, you'll not have things to write. I do think about that a lot. And I think because, cause you're like, all my songs come from me like emotionally and stuff. Like, do you ever think you'll eventually get through all the heartache and not have anything to write? Cause you can only recycle so many love songs. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that. That's something that I think about a lot. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't know if one day I'm just going to be, like, out of songs to write. And I think that's just one of those things that I've just got to cross that bridge when it comes to it. You know, it's like, Fair enough. I don't know. And maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But Do you find you struggle with it now? Because obviously you've just broken up with your girlfriend. Yeah. And and you're, you say you're not feeling, like, emotional about it enough. Because there has been a bit of time that's passed. Do yeah. you, are you struggling to almost tap into that, like heart, not heartbreak energy, but, but like that, emo, the emotions that you had where you wrote the song out of something pure, instead of having to look back and you're feeling like there's not that pure emotion there. Is that when it's hard to write a song? Yeah. I mean, pretty much as soon as I broke up with her, like, by the way, it's not like, it's not like. The situation was, just so everyone knows, the situation kind of like I, I would have rather not, but for, you know, you know, there's some flags that you start noticing and you're like, okay, no, I gotta, and even, even though I didn't want to, that's just what it had to be. So yeah, I, after breaking up with her, I literally wrote like seven songs. Um, and I already had a couple of them written for this album, but I, I wrote seven songs and within a few weeks I'd made demos for them all. And then I was going down to Melbourne to record. Like the process was like that where generally like when I write songs, it's like I sit on them for like a year, <laughs> whereas these ones were like, nope, so quick. But now to answer your question now, I ended up scrapping two of the songs in the album. And so I'm trying to go back to where I was in that, that I guess emotion and having to go back to that place where I've kind of taken the time to emotionally process everything that's happened and I'm getting over her, I guess. I think that that was, um, that's been a bit difficult to write an extra two songs to replace the ones that we've taken off, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, yeah, it does, it is hard sometimes, but is what it is kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, I can understand that. Like, I can, I can see how it would become hard to write without, I guess, an emotion. Do you ever think you would... Now, here's a question. Yeah. When you're in a relationship, do you think you'd cause dramas to Ooh. create an emotion to write something good? Like, like... I listened to a podcast with um, with Joe Rogan and David. What's his last name? Cho. David Cho. Yeah. And he says on there that the the art, like the transcendent art, the mystical art that no one can be recreated, all came out of pain. Mm. And he was wrestling with, um, can you still make that transcendent art and like, like transcendent art, art that's on a level level art that cannot be recreated, but while being happy. Cause he said that 
transcendent art comes from pain? Yeah, I don't so, know. So I guess there's two questions in one there. Would you, if you did get in a relationship with a girl, do you almost self-sabotage just to write good stuff? Talking about self-sabotage, song on my album is actually <laughs> called Self-Sabotage. And uh, it's probably my favorite song on the album. But um, that's not why I wrote that song, by the way. It's not like I just created the drama to just go and do that. Oh, no, no for sure, for sure. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I don't go out of my way to purposely create drama like that. I don't need drama in my life. But there comes back to the thing, maybe I do to write songs. Maybe I do need drama in my life, which is probably a bad thing. Like, um, and I, I don't know. I heard something. I heard, I heard an interview with Adele and Adele wrote her whole heartbreak. Hello album or whatever it's called. 21. I think it's called after her divorce. No, 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 no. no so she wrote that after a heartbreak. And then she got married and didn't release any music for years. And then when she got divorced, that's when she released a new banger album. And so it comes back to your point. Like, can you make that transcendent? Cause yeah. that album is one of, for the ages, correct? Yeah. Well, both of them are like, oh, her first one's iconic. Like her second one's got some absolute bangers on it, like huge songs, but like, yeah, like both of them have come out of pain. Like she, but do you think she could have written music like that if she was happily married i think it depends on the person like you think about some of like ed sheeran's songs right there's a lot of his like perfect like that's his probably his biggest song is not about pain it's about love mm. and but it's an emotion yeah sure yeah but your question was does, does it have to come out of pain i think that for me at the moment i i struggle with writing happy songs, which is a bad thing. I think I need to, I think it's just going to be part of my journey, learning how to write songs using the emotion of like happiness, I guess. Like a happy emotion or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, hey, come here. Hello. You might be famous one day, dog. Come here, Zoe. Oh. oh. <laughs> Yeah. Look at the camera. Zoe, look. Oh. <laughs> right, down, Zoe. Do you reckon you would, you could ever release a hap an album where all the songs are happy? And do you think it would be anywhere near as good as the songs that were written out of pain? I could definitely release an album that is happy, yes. Do I think, I, I just never, you never know like what song's going to be better than the other. I think it's just like a. But personally. I think I'd release a very fun album. Like I'm very like, like happy is like a, like, I don't, I don't like using the word happy. Like happy, happiness is a weird word for me. I'd rather use the word like joyful. Like, like. Why, why don't you like using the word happy? What, what correlation does that have to you? That you don't like to use the word. No, happy. I like, like, I like to use it. Like, oh, that makes me happy. But happy's not, like, I don't do things to make myself happy. Like, mm -hmm. I do, I do things to make myself joyful. But I think joy, joy and happiness are very different, like, emotions. Explain. Um, I think that happiness is, I think that happiness is short term and joy is long term. That's kind of how I think about it. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with happiness either. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm never happy or anything like that. Or I, d I don't do things to make myself happy, which 
like I make I do things to make myself joyful. I like I don't know. I think that I just think happiness is a weird word. I I think that I find joy out of the tough times as well sometimes not like if i was stuck in a rut forever i wouldn't like that <laughs> like don't get me wrong but you want to be stagnant. yeah yeah but i don't but think anyone wants i to think i find joy in getting out of that that state and so i think if i was always happy and because i think that that's a problem with the world like everyone's just doing stuff to make themselves happy now where it needs to be needs to be you need it sometimes weather the tough times you know like you know that saying um weak men create hard times and hard then, times create strong men strong men create easy times easy, easy times, times create me, weak big men. men yeah that um yeah so i don't know i just i just don't it's, like, it's the same as your grand your great-grandfather walked 10 miles to school your grandfather walked five miles to school your dad caught the bus to school you drove to school and your grandkids are going to be driving a Ferrari to school. Uh, sure. I mean, I guess. I, I think I got that completely wrong. Yeah. I definitely butchered that. Yeah. But it's along them lines. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just think that going back to your main question, like, I think that, yeah, I could definitely write a happy song for sure. But I think that I'd rather write a joyful album than a happy album. Like, I could write... I could write love songs on there that aren't like didn't get pain. Yeah, they're not painful love songs. Like I think I could make joyful songs, but then I could also make like some groovy kind of ones. Yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. How would you say you built confidence within your area of expertise? Because what you do, you entertain people. Yeah. So like you're up, if you're up on a on a stage or you're doing a gig and you mess up, like. Obviously, everyone's going to know that. So there's pressure on yourself to not mess up. And I guess there's an expectation on you from other people to not mess up. How do you deal with that? I think it's just down to I've done it so much. I've played hundreds of gigs. So it's like, it's <laughs> like I've just done it so much. I, I think that I've just practiced so much and done so many gigs that I think that entertaining people and not stuffing up are very different. Like, yeah, I can entertain people and not stuff up or I can not entertain people and play a good, like, set still. Like, my what I play could be good music, but could I be entertaining? No. But I could also... I'd rather be not as good musically and entertain people than not entertain people and be... Like, insanely musical. Yeah, I feel like that's fair enough. Yeah, like, like, I, to go to your question of how I built confidence doing that, it's just the hours that I put in. That's all it is, like, putting hours just again reps. and again and again and again. Just repetitions, mm. just reps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think No substitute for reps, baby. No, no. So what's your craziest gig story then? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So... I've got so many. I've got so well, many. Well, just do like the most insane thing that's happened at a gig. Okay, so I was playing in this, this town near Wagga called Juni. <laughs> I've played a bunch of footy there. Yeah, have you? Yeah, for rap. Yeah, rap, right. magpies, baby. <laughs> um, so I was playing in this town near Juni. I'm not going to tell you where I played, but 
but I was playing. I played there once before this gig, and it was so dead. It was just such a dead gig. There was no one there, and I was like, oh, mate, this is going to take, like, this is just going to be a long gig. Like, yeah, I was getting paid, but, like, that's why I was saying before, like, I'd rather have a good crowd and less money than more money and a dead crowd. Like, it's just so much more entertaining when people are there. And it was like maybe five people at this pub and I'm like, it was a Sunday afternoon. I'm like, why did they even get me here on a Sunday afternoon? It made no sense to me. And I was just like, oh, well, I'll do it anyway. So, so I am playing this gig and then, yeah, I played the gig and it was, it was a very dead gig, but then I played there a couple of weeks later. And so I, I, I turned up to the gig and I see a couple of dudes sitting around a table out the front. And these dudes were just yelling at each other, like, like, oh, I'll, I'll effing beat you, all this, I'll, I'll drag you in the gutter, your dog, all this, like, swearing their heads off at one another. And I'm like, what's going on here? But they, like, they were just sitting at the table like it was just a joke or something. I was like, oh, whatever. Get my gear out of my car, set it up. I, I end up playing, like, 10 minutes into my gig, about one, one of the dudes from the front, yeah, there was pretty much five people sitting around this table, but it was two of the dudes that were arguing. Mm-hmm. And so one of the dudes comes in and he's just swearing his head off. He's like, mate, this guy's an effing pedo, all this stuff. I'm like, whoa. And, um, that's yeah. pretty gnarly. But if you actually get called, like, I mean, he probably could have been for all we know, but yeah, get, that's, that's fighting words, man. Yeah. I mean, and mind you, like these, these dudes are like 50. They're not young dudes and they look rough. They got tattoos on their heads and their arms and like, they just look like they had rough lives. And I'm like, anyway, so one of the dudes comes in, he's like, man, he's an effing pedo. He's talking to kids, all this stuff. I'm like, whoa, it was full on. And then this, this, the guy that he was accusing came in and was like saying, mate, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all this stuff. And then he walks into the bathroom and I'm playing my gig. And he was in there for a good five, ten minutes. And I was like... Did he really stop and just watch? Uh, like, they were, they were, what, like, he asked me if they watched my gig? No, no, like, did you almost, like... No, it wasn't, it wasn't that sketchy. He just went into the bathroom and then, and then I see him come out, like, five or ten minutes later. Like, okay. And then they, like, and then they go again. They're like, mate, mate, I'll take you outside, you effing dog, all this stuff. And there's a security guard in there. And he's, like, telling the boys, like, don't do that, don't do that, all this stuff. Anyway, and so, and then like a couple of minutes later, this other bloke comes in and he was the friend of the guy that was being accused of being a pedo. And he walks in and he's like, oh, you're saying that he's this and that. And then, and then they're like yelling at each other and like, and so it was pretty much the guy that's getting accused of being a pedo and his friend. So what had happened was he called his friend while he was in the bathroom. That's why he was in there for so long. And so they ended up saying, oh, let's take it outside then, take it outside. And so I'm playing. And when I tell you, everyone empties out of this pub. There was no one in there after after they, they all just like go at each other. And there, was, there wasn't that many people in there anyway. It was a Sunday afternoon, 10 people maybe. Everyone empties out. Like not even the bar staff are in there anymore. I'm just, it's just me in that whole pub. <laughs> like, like I have a video on my phone and it's like, I'm like looking around, I, like, there's no one in there, Josh. Like, no you one. You just played it yourself then? I know. I, I stopped. I was like, I sent it to my friends. I was like, hey, there's no one in this pub. And then, and so then, um, they're outside. They're yelling at each other. The security guard's kind of between the three. And then, I just like, I hear them yelling and I see them pushing each other and they start throwing. And I'm like, oh, they're actually throwing hands now. And, um, and so I look out the side of the door 
and they're they're just they're they're starting to go ham. I'm like, oh mate, and so, and there was like kids and women, like women and kids around. Like there was only a couple of dudes, and so me, the, like the security guard was trying to stop the three of them on his own, mm. and so then me and this other dude we were like, okay, that's that's enough. We gotta like chill, like we make them chill out, and so. And so I started walking over with this other dude to like try and break them all up. And then I just see a right over, like an, a right overhand coming to, to the guy that was accusing the other guy. Mm. And, um, and so, so the guy that was accusing, sorry, the guy that was being accused, I just saw it just, I, it was slow motion to happen, just bang his fist and he hits the guy that was accusing him straight in, straight in the temple and he falls and hits his head on the gutter. And his face was like all covered in blood, cut open. And he's knocked out like a sack of potatoes, went straight down into just the gutter. Cold. cold. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, sucker punched him. No, it wasn't a sucker punch, but it was like 2v1. So you kind of. Yeah. And, um, and so I, like, this is when I was like walking over to like, and I just see it having banged straight sack of potatoes into the gutter. His head, hit his head bleeding everywhere. I'm like, you're kidding. And I was like, that's crazy. So I that's helped. That's very gnarly because people can like, that's how people, people died from that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. And I help him up from the gutter. I'm like, mate, you're all right. And he's like, he's like trying to fight him still. And then there's like five cars backed up the road and they're like screaming. And like the, one of the guy's girlfriends is screaming, get in the car, get in the car. Like kids, all this stuff crying. It was crazy. I was like, did the cops show up? No, no cops. No cops showed up. <laughs> no. And bloody, I was like, what? bloody Australia, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? And then, um, and so, and yeah, pretty much then the two dudes, they just, they just dipped. They just went away. And then the guy that was accusing the other dude came back into the pub, helping him clean up with some like tissues and whatnot. And then he's like, oh, can you play me a song? And I was like. Yeah, okay. And he, I was like, what do you like? And he's like, I love Sean Mendes. I was like, this guy's the roughest looking dude. I'm like, all right, mate. I'm like, yeah, I can play. And because his face was still covered in blood, I'm like, mate, I'll play in my blood for you. And I like, Sean Mendes. And so I crack it out. And he's like, so attentive. And then in the middle of it, gets up and walks out. I was like, what? This guy was the most random dude. And then he comes back in like five minutes later. And then the other two dudes come back. I was like, they've been fighting. Yeah. Even the dude who was knocked out. No, no, he he was the one that I was playing to. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, copy. Yeah. And um yeah, the two dudes, so the the guy that was being accused of being a pedo and his friend, the bathroom dude and his friend, they both come back in brand new clothes, acted like nothing else happened. And they were just sitting in the pub together. It's like, what? Like the three dudes just acted like nothing had happened. Well, like, I guess it they, was legit five minutes, ten minutes later, maybe. It's kind of like a good story because I guess that fight, you know, they sorted, mate, sorted their stuff out mate. and then they can sit at the pub and have a beer together. <laughs> mate, it was crazy. And then, and then, then like they came in for five minutes and then when they, when they all left, everyone else left. Like, and I'm telling you, I was not playing. Did they I, just I ended up chat? finishing the gig early because there was no one. Did they end up just sitting, chatting, having a beer with each other? No, they just left. After they came in for a beer and then left, like one beer and left. Fair enough. Yeah, it was the weirdest. It was so weird. It's gnarly, bro. Gnarly. Yeah, that's pretty out the gate. Yeah, I've, I've got so many weird gig stories. Like that's this. good though. That's like, um, honor. That's like honor. Nah, I don't. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It was the weirdest vibe. They came back, acted like nothing else had happened. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. 
Yeah. Definitely crazy. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's a gnarly gig story, dude. That's proper out the gate. Have you ever traveled the world? <laughs> that was a worse segue. That was a worse segue. We're keeping that in. That was a worse segue. Um, I mean, I've been overseas, yeah, so I haven't traveled the world. No. <laughs> worst okay, segue on the podcast. I know you've been to America. Okay, I'll say, I know you've been to America. What was America like? Did you ever perform in America? No, I don't think so. No? No, I wasn't, I wasn't that old. I was like, that was just before I started, or it was like just as I was starting doing gigs, I think. I think I was 16 when I went to America. Yeah. Did you ever move over there? Yeah, for sure. I'd move there. Really? I'd move there in a heartbeat. Like, if I could, if I got the visa, I'd move there next year. Really? Yeah, you wouldn't move there? Nah, no way. Why not? Because I lived the life in America. Yeah, but no, you live, you're in DC in the sketchy parts. You could live some in some, there's some sick parts in America. Oh, yeah, but just the things I've seen there, it's like pretty gnarly. Just, yeah. just for me, seeing like, because I went there and I was like jumping over the gates and jumping on the trains. Mm. And. After I jumped onto a few trains because I had no money and couldn't afford a metro card, I'd jump onto a train and be so laxed, I'd like wave at the security guard and he'd wave at me as I jumped onto a train. Yeah. Because, like, I just feel like the people there are on edge. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, but everyone's got guns, that's why. Well, that's what I mean. Like, like, for me to jump a gate here, like, not scan your overcar and jump onto a train in Australia mm. is like, well, you could get a fine and like someone's going to confront you about that. Yeah. But in America, it's not worth a security guard's life to confront you about jumping onto a train. Yeah. So he just lets you do it, right? Yeah. It's like that. Like people, are, are, I found people were like, until they realize you're not a threat, they're super hesitant to talk to you, don't want to talk. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a lot with that country that they need to sort out. Yeah, right. To be honest. Like, I wouldn't want to move there, to be honest. Just like, they, it's it's supposedly the most free country in the world, but I feel like the people there aren't free. Yeah, right. Fair enough. I mean... I just mean, from what I saw as well, just like... Yeah. Because I was homeless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I'd sit down on the side of the street and I'd be hundred meters away from another homeless person mm. who a girl who's like probably in her fifties walking around with a cane and yeah. reliving, talking to herself, a whole situation that probably happened. <laughs> that probably happened. That's why this is the dog that probably happened years and years ago. And she just never got past it. Yeah. Like, like she's not free. She's not getting any medical help. Yeah. She's on the streets at night talking about, oh, my husband's missing. Um, Almost having a conversation with, I, I heard it over and over Sorry. for like three days of this lady talking to, talking at the bus stop, just crazy about how her husband never came home to the police. Having a full conversation with the police, waiting for replies, everything, just reliving this scenario out in her head. And... I'm not saying that's because of guns. I'm not saying yeah. that at all. No, no, no. I don't think... But like, I'm just saying people are on edge there and it's just the country 
as a whole, I think, is not doing the best. For, f- of course, with homeless people, it's even worse in L.A. Oh, yeah. When I went to L.A., that was even worse. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Because they, they don't know what to do. Mm. Like, they're stuck, and they almost have no real issues. They cre- I feel like they, a lot of issues are created amongst themselves. Yeah, right. But yeah, yeah. As in the st- America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I th- just not... Just to clarify, you weren't saying homeless people. Oh, no, no, no. America, America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I like, I, you know, like, I get what you're saying. Like, I was in Atlanta, and there's, when I was in Atlanta, um, there was this lady. We were coming out of the Hawks, Hawks game, NBA game, and um, we were walking out, and we saw this lady crying on the sideline. She had a bleeding head. We were like, oh, mate going on we thought she was homeless but i don't know if she was homeless or not but we, we were like oh you're right and um and she was like oh i'd just been beaten by this guy and it was like it wasn't even that late it was like 10 o'clock maybe mm. and it was like oh yeah well, in the middle of like in the middle of they can get in trouble but i've a lot of them just scrape under the radar yeah because there's so much like like i feel like um if you're just a county sheriff and you go to a really sketchy part of the neighborhood, right? And all you have is a little taser and a pistol. You can knock on someone's door and they can be fully strapped. Like, yeah. like multiple guys can fully strapped. Like it's, I don't want to say it's not worth their life, but like people are scared. Yeah. Like people are genuinely scared there. Yeah, for sure. But like, yeah, with this lady, she was terrified. Like, and she was like, oh, I've been beaten by this guy. And, um, and I was like, what is going on? And then like, she's like, I'm cold. She had no, like, it was like middle of winter and she didn't have a jacket or anything. And like, my dad gave her a jacket and I was like, um, just keep that one. And then, and, and so when we were talking to her, I see this guy walk past us and he had a bag on the front of him and he had his hand in his bag. I was like, oh, that's sketchy. Walk like, yeah, walks past, and then, and I'm like, I noticed him. He had sunglasses on. It was middle of the night too. I was like, and then he walks past again, and I'm like, oh great, and um, and he and he just had like this this smallish bag on the front. He had his hand in his bag, and um, and so, and then he walks past, the th- and he was just waiting up on the corner, and then I said to dad, and I'm like, dad, this guy's walked past us twice, and then he walks by again. I'm like, dad, that's three times now. This guy's walked past us. And, um, dad was like, all right, we got to go. And so, so we had to get out of there, but we reckon it was probably a pimp or something like that. Like an actual pimp. Yeah. Yeah. It was sketchy. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so that was like eye opening to see like the States, but I mean, yeah, like I've been to the States and there's bad homeless problem there as well. But then like, I mean, I went to Nepal when I was like 12 or 13. So you have traveled the world a little bit. <laughs> a little, but not like, I wouldn't say I've traveled the whole world. Like I'm, yeah. But yeah, so went to, went to Nepal when I was 12, I think. And, um, that was like, we went on a missions trip over there and, um, that was really cool. And yeah. What was Nepal like? Nepal was like a beautiful country. It's yeah. like some of the tallest mountains in the world. We needed to hike there once. Uh, <laughs> Everest. Yeah. <laughs> Everest. Uh, I don't know if Cape Annapurna. Annapurna. I went, so, um, we got really into mountain climbing once. Once we're still in. No, <laughs> we need to do it. We need to do another one. 
But um, yeah. So like, I went to the base of Annapurna. Mm. Um, and they're just huge, like they're huge. I went to I went to Kathmandu, Chitwan, Pokhara. Uh, I don't know. if I think I went to one other place, but I can't remember. But um, yeah. So I went to a lot of places in Nepal and helped helped um helped out in the a child care center over there that well, the church I go to works works with. Mm. And um, yeah. So that was like. It was so cool. Like I was with my whole family there, but and not to say that we d- didn't like that was such a such a cool experience. But like we also had like did some really cool things as well. Like yeah, like um riding elephant, did that. That's pretty gnarly. Uh, and the craziest thing, um paragliding. Yeah, paragliding is sick. We jumped off. I can't remember. No, it's like one way. I think between like skydiving, paragliding. What is ever the other one is? Paris, no, not parasailing. Um, the one that you jump off the mountain. Yeah, yeah. With like the sails. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What and you're called. like in a big seat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think paragliding is like where you die. There's like heaps of deaths paragliding. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Look it up. True. I'm looking up. I swear that I remember. So I saw a statistic of like paragliding is like what you do if you want to die. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah, so maybe I'm. Who knows? I got it wrong. Yeah, no. Well, I paraglided off the base camp of I can't remember which mountain it was, but it was a massive. And so we just all six of my family we were strapped to some random person, and they just jumped off the mountain. Like we had to run and jump off the mountain, and then like, like jumped off Annapurna. I don't know. No, it wasn't. We didn't jump off Annapurna. I don't know what mountain it was. I think it might have been. But do you want to just see what? How many people die paragliding? Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah, my little brother was six when he did it. That's loose. <laughs> That's so. I guess Nepal's pretty loose with that stuff. Yeah, though. it was crazy. Sixteen thousand eight hundred and sixteen thousand people died paragliding. Oh, hang on, no, this is a flight count. Number of deaths and injuries according to the type of flight. Mm-hmm. So this is back in twenty eleven. Yeah. Single flight. Number of deaths? We were double. So you're a tandem? Tandem, yeah. Five people have died tandem. A year, in 2011. That's not that many. Yeah, but... (laughs) That's not even that bad. 33 were injured. Nah, it's fine. Yeah, actually, it's not as It's not that bad, yeah. I thought it was like death. No, no. No, you're actually safe, so it's all good. Yeah, no, it's calm. Paragliding's safe. No, but it was actually jokes because the guy... It's not safe to the five people that aren't still with us. (laughs) No, the I'm guy, sorry. the guy that I jumped off with, he was singing to me the whole time. I believe I can fly. It is, he looked like Eddie Murphy, a Nepalese Eddie Murphy. That's what he looked like. And he was just like, Eddie Murphy. he did, he did. And I was like, he just would not start singing like, like for like 10 minutes while we're up in the air. I believe I can fly the whole time. That's like, so good. It was so funny, but no, nah, it was sick. But yeah, so Nepal. We should go. No, we should go to Iceland. We should go to Iceland. We should go everywhere. But... You need to learn to surf before we go to Iceland. Yeah, true. Like get good at it so we can actually go surfing in Iceland. I'm never on a coast. Huh? I'm never on the coast. Well, now you can. Now be, I can be. Here. Yeah, but. But we're going surfing after this. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I yeah, went to Thailand as well. Just before or just after I went to America? You've been to more places than me. Have I? No, no way. 
He literally went all over Europe, Canada, US as well. Yeah, but I haven't been to Thailand or Nepal. <laughs> yeah, but that's two places. You've been to like half European countries. I haven't been to Europe at all. Yeah, I haven't done really any Eastern European countries. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'll so to, did Thailand with a family's friends just as like like two-week getaway kind of thing. It was pretty good. But yeah, that's how How old were you went to Thailand? It was the same year I went to America. You know, I just pictured Thailand. Have you watched The Hangover? Yeah. A part, Hangover Part 2? I haven't seen Part 2, just Part Where they're in Thailand? Nah. That's how I've imagined Thailand. <laughs> Well, gotta watch it. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah, no, no, it was just like, just um, yeah, it was pretty. It was just a nice resort. It was nice. Yeah, but um, loose dude. Yeah, that's where I've been to. I know one of my friends from TAFE. He did a trip to Thailand. Yeah, and he said he had the worst come down from Thailand. He just did drugs. Oh mate, he did drugs and just paid to get with girls because they were real cheap. Yuck! I know it was pretty gnarly. He actually has a podcast now. <laughs> Are you going to shout it out? Or <laughs> no. No. Because <laughs> I don't know if he wanted me saying <laughs> that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I didn't do any of that because I was, I wouldn't do it anyway, but I was 16 at the time as well. But I did. Oh, loose. Did Crap break into the gnarly. pool though. Did you broke into a pool. Yeah. Well, the, the resort pool, I closed it like 10 and I had water slides and stuff there. Me and like, a couple of our friends and like, a couple of my siblings, we just snuck into the pool and they had security cameras all around as well but we just did anyway snuck into the pool and then went down the water slide a bunch and it's just like there's no one in there it was middle of the night it was banging yeah that's mad good times yeah that's why we should go surfing on full moon i can't even surf in the day (laughs) (laughs) yeah true no we'll get you on a boogie board man we'll just get you out on a book yeah yeah for sure it'll be sick but yeah that's how i kind of like I've been been to a couple of places. I want to travel more though, but yeah. Yeah, it'll be skits. So we've gone to all these places, seeing, I guess, all these different things, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, And also just seeing how broken the world is. How, how do you keep God in like a central part of your life while in like an industry where God almost isn't? Well, he's there, but... Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I think that, yeah, the the music industry definitely is degenerating, like, not just the music industry, but the world as a whole is degenerating, but especially the music industry. And I think that I, I think it's my calling to bring, I guess, godly values to a degenerating world, like values such as, like, truth and accountability and direction like some of those have been very much lost lately but i think i've not always done a good job of i guess keeping god central like i think that i've um, not gone off the rails but like (laughs) but like not gone down the right path a few times and i think that that's like part of most people's journey um but i've tried tried my best and i think i'm i'm in a good spot at the moment i just think it's for me, it's just about finding humility in what I do. Like, it's would it's you not, say you're a humble person? That's it's like a if if I was to say no, then like <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. That's what I say. I try to be. Like, there's times where I'm definitely not humble. Where I'm like, okay, no, I got to keep myself in check there. And there's other times where I'm like, yeah, but but I, yeah, I, I try to be. I think that I can always be better. But yeah, I think that keeping humble and 
giving glory to God is what's important to keep him central in my life. Like if I just think it's all me all the time, then it's not going to benefit me as much, I yeah. guess. It's blessing and obedience. That's what I say. Mm. That's that's a key. That's something that like as of lately as well has been like very a key cornerstone thing. There's blessing and obedience. That's what I always say to myself. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if that answers. Do you think there's a difference between gratefulness and humbleness? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you reckon? Well, how would you just describe them? Like, how would you, what, what's the difference between humbleness and gratefulness then? Because I feel like they're very, very similar. They're similar. I don't think they're that similar. I think that I don't be, know. being grateful is like, you're just thankful for things. Like, you're like, okay, well, thank you. I think that, I think that gratefulness well, like comes being, out of humility. Humility or humbleness? Humility is humbleness. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. It is. That, you sure? They're the same word. Oh. Humility is being humble. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I left school when I was 15, man. I think, break. yeah, no, I left when I was 16. Uh, <laughs> humility comes out of humbleness. Uh, sorry, humility comes out of gratefulness and gratefulness comes out of humility. I think they go hand in hand, but I don't think they're the same thing. Yeah, I think that, right. I think that humility is very much like, it's not me doing this. It's kind of like, it's, I guess, God doing this, right? And like, Oh, you can not believe in God and still be humble. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, I guess, I guess being humble under God is being different. Like, I think there's different levels of being humble. Like there's like humility under God and then there's humility under yourself. Like, okay, well, yeah, I didn't like, oh, it, it's a, it's a blessing that this has happened. If If I don't believe in God, then. I'm still thankful that, that, that this has happened and you're not like arrogant within yourself, I guess you're yeah. kind of, yeah. Okay. That's interesting about talking about arrogance. Um, I mean, to be the best in the world, I guess you have to have some arrogance. Well, that's, but I can I, can I go into that? So yeah. I was talking with someone uh, literally like a week or two ago about, Cause I was saying to them, I feel like I, how do I stay humble with wanting to be the best? I always said that. And there's a Bible verse. I can't remember where it is, but it says, yes. Yeah, so in John 15 verse eight, it says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So if I'm being lazy and not working the hardest I can be to be the best, that's not bringing glory to God. And so doing those things is bringing glory to God. And as long as I'm, I'm humble and saying, it's not me, it's God, then, then being the best at a certain thing is. But you still got to have confidence within yourself. Oh yeah. But confidence and arrogance are different. Like I think there's a very, it's a fine line yeah, for sure. But, um, I think confidence and like, Arrogance is, goes hand in hand with being obnoxious. Like, mm. I think that, I think that That's arrogance is quietly confident. I think that arrogance is obnoxious confidence. Mm. I think that, mm. but also arrogance can be like, arrogance can fill, can be a filter for low, low self-confidence as well. I think 
Like people can. So it's like a facade, you reckon? Yeah, I think it's facade. Often I think it's um, confidence that's, uh, it's obnoxious confidence, but I think that being confident, I have not always been confident. Like in, in, like I really struggled when playing sport, I guess, like with confidence, like you would be the opposite, but like you wouldn't be confident going to play a, if you had to play in front of a couple hundred people, you're not going to be that confident. You're going to be like, okay, crap, what's going on here? Yeah. I'll be, because I'll you're not prepared a, for I'm it. I'm making a fool of myself yeah. here. But I was like, I used to be the same with sport. Like if I was playing a sport, because like my dad and my little brother are so, they're so naturally talented at sport. I was like, oh, okay, I need to be good. But the reality is sport's not what I was made to do. Like I do it for fun, but I don't do it competitively. Like I, I play on the Wednesday night, like Div 2 Men's League, but I don't play rep or I don't play for New South Wales or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just playing just for fun. And so I think that how I find confidence is is the work that I put in. I know that it just comes back to grinding and, and, and putting in that work to know that I have worked hard for this and I've been gifted with this. That's where I get my confidence from, not from, not from just simply saying I'm the best. Like, I've got to back it up. Oh, and yeah, I, in sure. that being said, I don't think I'm the best yet either. I'm mm. planning to be the best one day. I'm, I want to be the best songwriter of all time. Like saying, I'm saying it here first. I want to be the best songwriter of all time, and it'll good, it'll happen. But but it, again, it's not for my glory, you know. Yeah, like it is though. It's, it is, but it isn't at the same time. Like it's, that's, it comes along with it, but that's not why I'm doing it. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that. That's something that I've been like struggling, not struggling with, but like thinking about for a long time wrestling with like, is my glory versus God's glory. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I think that that's just been something that I've been thinking about for a, a couple of weeks now. And mm. yeah. Do you... Because I know for me, when people doubt me or tell me I can't do something, that's like my big get up and go. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't reckon? No way, no. I do that all the time. But I, I love proving people wrong. Oh, yeah. But do you think that's glory for yourself or how? Or no. glory for God, proving people wrong? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I can't say for sure. I think that, like... I think that I'm still, how I think about it is when I'm trying to, I guess, give glory to God, like it, it's always there anyway, because I'm like, because I'm Christian, like I'm trying, like, it's just subconsciously there. And so sometimes like if someone says, oh, I'm not, um, I'm just going to, like, you can't do that or, or whatnot, then I can push back on that. And that's okay. Like, it's not like I'm saying, oh, I have to get the glory for myself. It's not what I'm kind of saying. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think it is still, like, I think it is still, I I don't think it's arrogant or anything like that. No way. If people, bro, people are going to hate, and people that are hating are always doing worse than you. Oh, yes and no. How so? Because I know a lot of people, so I have two short-term goals. Yeah. One of them, it's 
It's kind of just a goal that's kind of recently. But I want to ride Red Bull Hardline track in Tasmania. Yeah. Which is, it's like, it's the biggest dirt-to-dirt jumps in the world. All right. On a downhill mountain bike track. And it's invitation only. And one of my friends that works there, who also just got back from a World Cup season, doing no better than me. Well, he's a bit quicker than me, but I guess where we are in, like, that sort of thing. I wouldn't say he's that much better than me. Like, he's doing technically better than me. And he's like, you're not going to be able to ride it. And I'm like, that's just putting the fire in my belly. Yeah, but I think that's hating. Like, do you think that's hating? Maybe a bit, but uh, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. Also, some people, I'm skinny. Like, when I was overseas, because I was, like, homeless for a bit, I lost. You were homeless for like a couple of days. It's not even like a week. Yeah, it was a week. <laughs> it was a working week. But I came home 55 kilos. Bruh. Left at like 63. Because I'm not big. I'm not tall. But yeah. I left at like 62 kilos. Got home at 55. Yeah. And because I was so skinny overseas, everyone, like heaps of people would be like, and I couldn't afford a gym overseas. Yeah. Everyone was like, Oh, you don't work out, you don't train, like, you need to train, like, you need to get in the gym, this and that. I'm like, I was, I swear, but, like, you can't tell because yeah. I got so skinny. And I've started putting weight back on, and I saw another mate in Tasmania, and I'm like, I'm back training in the gym. He's like, oh, don't know about that. Like, just being like, oh, you're still so skinny. And I'm like, oh, dude, i see you next week going to the gym together. I'm like, just like that, it's like, I'm not getting down and negative about it because, like, that's kind of, it's almost a positive thing. Yeah. No, I that think... They that they give you, give you crap. Yeah. No, I, I use that as a motivator a lot, so I get that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, I don't think that's arrogance. I think that doing that is building confidence. Yeah. I don't think that's arrogance at all. I that's think, why I'm going to ride the Red Bull Hutton. I think that if you were to, like, go and say to them, like, if you started getting up all in their face, like, oh, watch me do it, watch me do it, all this stuff, you got to... You gotta, yeah, and like you're like getting real annoyed at them, and like you're in their face saying, "Oh, watch me do it!" Like it'll, it'll happen. All this stuff. Like say that to yourself, and then once you win, do just, it. Yeah. Yeah. Not not get in their face, but like once you win, that's when you can be like, "See, I proved you wrong." Like you're not like oh in their face and all that, but like just win confidently and tr- train confidently, lose confidently and win confidently. Yeah. Humble in defeat. Yeah. Humble in defeat, but humble in victory as well. Mm. That's hard. That's it's hard. hard bit. It is yeah, hard. Proving people wrong for me has got to be up Because def- defeating defeat is humbling. Like you... Oh, yeah. you Yeah, like it's it's hard to not hang your head down in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a very um, humbling thing. Like everyone's like, oh, there's no such thing as losing, only learning. But you do lose. And you do have to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, there's nothing can stop you from feeling the emotions of getting smoked in a race. Yeah. Or like losing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because you've, you've put so much into it and then you don't and you lose. Yeah. There's been plenty of things that like, I've like a hundred percent lost at and I've been annoyed by. And so I get that. Like there's many things and many competitions that I've tried and I've just lost like I lost one a couple of weeks ago, so it's not like, and I didn't, I think I could have won it. I just, but I learned out of it. Like, yeah, I needed to stay focused a bit more and whatnot. And so 
yeah, there's just there's just so many factors that you got to learn out of it. But yeah, as I said, f- being humble and to go back to the main point, not not being confident over arrogant is being humble in victory. I think. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. It's a great way to put it. Is that a good way to end it? Yeah. Yeah. What well, what was say that again? Say that as like the title. Humble, humble in victory. Humble. That's not gonna be the title because I haven't. I'm not a. Vic, I'm not a victor yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know, it's a good way to finish. It's a good way to finish, but yeah, it's I mean, a good closer. Yeah, this was very. I mean, I talked a lot on this episode. I because I mean, it was kind of like a bit of an interview, not an interview, but a deep dive into me. And then the next episode is gonna be a deep dive into Frothro over here. Yep. And I will be. It's not an interview, but I would kind of. Well, it turned out to be an interview. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, thanks for thanks for watching, everyone. That's uh before the blow up. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! We don't we don't want to become a sheep and conform to the subscribe and like and. Hey, no, there's nothing that. wrong with that. Yes, you become a sheep. You become a sheep and subscribe to us. No, don't. Do it. No, no. <laughs> hey, now how are you that telling them? Us becoming a sheep. No, how are you telling them not to subscribe? No, no. Do what you want. No, no. You have subscribe. free will. God gave you free will and you can choose what you want to do. Subscribe to us or not. Subscribe. (laughs) Stop being a sheep. We don't want to be like every other dude. Subscribe and hit the notification bell. Leave a like, a thumbs up and a comment. I'm just ending it there. Yeah, end it there. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Do what you want, people. Sweet. Sweet. Cruising.